Hi, it's really great to have you with us. I'm Rob Porter, my wife Heather and I have the amazing privilege of being the senior pastors at Kingdom Culture Church in Burpengary, Queensland. We have an incredible preaching team and I hope that this message will encourage and bless you as you listen. Ezra's been building the temple, Nehemiah's been building the wall, and now the people are gathering together for the first time, right? The people gathering together, the wall, the temple has been rebuilt, and they can actually meet together and worship together. Now, I, I get that some people did the, did the polite pop, but maybe we don't connect with that, right? Do, do we all remember... Um, the period during COVID where church for us was hanging out in our homes and watching worship on the screen and maybe singing along to it, maybe just making a coffee and and passively observing. Does anyone remember that first service back? Right? What a feeling that was. What a feeling it was to actually come to this space and be able to not just do our separate little thing, but to come together and worship. I was like, do we cheer? Do we cry? We, we actually felt as a pastoral team that there was a bit of uh, not a, not a, not a, not a uh, suffering kind of thing in the room, but still this, like, this sense of like, we, need to, we need to comfort the people through this. There was actually a very heavy morning. So imagine now if instead of we haven't been able to corporately worship for six months and we miss it, Imagine if corporate worship was a story that your parents told you. You've, 70 years the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. And so their parents had been able to tell them this story. There's, there used to be this thing that we'd do where we had our own land and would come together, the lot of us, and would worship God together. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to actually be in that space, to be able to come and worship together for the first time? in their entire lives. It's not just a nostalgic thing, it's not just a memory, but it's actually we're, we're reclaiming a sense of corporate identity as a nation. And so that's where I really want to position you in, because what's happening in this part of Nehemiah is it's transitioning out of just talking about Nehemiah, it's talking about the people, it's talking about Israel, it's talking about the community. And so we want to look at it through this lens, we want to look at it through the lens of a community that get to have that identity of corporate worship once again, they've reclaimed it. And in this way, Nehemiah is actually a revivalist. We think about revival in a very uh, narrow lens sometimes, because you'd say, but Pastor Caleb, nobody fell over, and no one was speaking in tongues, so it couldn't have been a revival. (laughs) But actually, if we take a step back and we widen our definition of what revival means, if we take some of the nostalgia out of it, we realize that the Bible and history is full of revivals, full of uh, non-Pentecostal scholars would call it renewal, because it has less um, baggage attached to it. <laughs> but we can actually, you could actually look at that lens, that what happened with the Protestant Reformation, the idea of the people should be able to give a- get access to the Word, and it's not just about the priests uh, over the top of the, the lay people, but the lay people actually get to have that access. That's actually a renewal, that's actually a revival. It's not of spirit, but it is of truth, Right? And so we look throughout history and we look at that lens and we actually find that right now what's happening is a revival moment, a renewal moment. They haven't had 
that sense of corporate identity or that sense of corporate worship their entire lives. And now it's been reclaimed because of God, the Holy Spirit, but also through this man, Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is absolutely a revivalist. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, that you're here this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you have a word. Thank you, Lord, that uh, it would be like a fire shut up in my bones, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that it wouldn't be my voice, my words, my ideas this morning, but it would be yours, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that there's something you want to impart into this room, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would, uh, yes, honor the time and the preparation as you do and anoint it, but Holy Spirit, that you would guide uh, me and us through this word this morning. Uh, direct me where you want me to go. Direct these people with what they want to, what you need them to hear, Lord God. I pray, Father, that we wouldn't just have a message this morning, but we'd have transformation this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to grab myself a bit of water. Oh, the service team didn't open it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to. I need to actually like stop and drink uh, drink water. I don't have Pastor Rob's anointing of just halfway through a sentence being able to just like pop it in. So chapter seven, uh, we'll go through in excruciating detail. It's the list of the names of each person that uh, returned to uh, to to the kingdom. Okay, can we can we go through that? Um, uh, no. <laughs> can I say in your personal reading time? It is totally okay when you see the list of the men of Israel. Skip. <laughs> There's stuff to get in there. There's stuff to dig in. But in your, if it's before work, in the morning, and you're, and you're reading through it, you have my permission to turn the page. Unless Holy Spirit grabs you in that moment. So here's a really interesting thing about this, this section of Scripture, right? We're going to move on to, to chapter 8. They do this really interesting thing. So, first, they bring out the Torah, right? Which is the first five books of, of our Bible. Uh, it's their, like, books of law, the, the Pentateuch. They bring it and they set it in the middle of the people. They don't actually open it in the temple. They actually open it in front of the water gate, in the common area, in front of all of the people. They put it in the center, this is really wild. What happens is they start reading from it. They start reading the law from it, and the people begin to weep, right? And there's probably a couple of things going on there. Like I said, they're, they're, there's that sense of identity they're having again. There's probably, there's probably something there. But actually, if we, if we, once we read ahead, you'll find that you agree with me that a big component of it is actually they're realizing all the places that they've fallen short of the law, and they start to weep. And let's have a look at the response of Nehemiah and, the, and the, um, the Levites, the priests. So, Nehemiah says to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's actually where that's from. As so the people are seeing the, the, the comparison of the law, they're weeping from what they've lost, they're weeping from where they don't line up, they're weeping from this realization that our interaction with this law 
and our failure to live up to it and to put God first, who's the reason we're in Babylon in the first place. And, he's, and that's where this verse comes from. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This isn't actually a time for, we rebuilt the wall, we've rebuilt the temple. This is not a time for mourning. The Levites called all the people saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy. Get this, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They first hear it, they see where they don't line up, they start to weep. Nehemiah and the priests say, hey, wrong contexts for this moment. Not wrong context in total, wrong context for this moment. And now they, they're able to worship and celebrate. Why? Because they understand the words that have been read to them. They actually have taken it from that context of, hey, this isn't the context of where we failed and where we stuffed up, because God has actually brought us back. We're actually at the other end of this thing. And so you've, you've, you've missed the understanding of what's going on because you've pulled yourself into the past instead of what God is doing right now. And so their response is immediately to implement uh, written instruction and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles for the first time ever, which is so, like, must have been such a, a, a uh, powerful moment for them as a nation, right? Think of, think of us coming back to church times a thousand, that kind of feeling. Because it's also, it's like your parents have told you about what Australia's like, but you've never been there. And they've told you about, I don't know, Story Bridge? Yeah. <laughs> the Batman Tower. You know the one in the city that looks like the head of Batman? And you're like, there it is. It's actually, yep. Um, yeah, we'll get a landmark one day. Anyway. The Brown Snake. Yeah, the river. Beautiful. But they actually have, you know when people have like renew their vows, they redo a marriage ceremony? They have a covenant renewal ceremony. It says here in ver, uh, chapter 9, verse 38. So they have this huge, chapter 9 is mostly this whole, and we'll dig into it a little bit, but this whole like prayer and covenant that they've written out. And this is how they sign it off. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. So, they've gone, we, we, we recognize this thing, we realize that we need to renew this covenant with you, God, and we're affixing our seals to it. Could you imagine if that's what we did on a Vision Sunday? The vision for Sunday is kingdom come, and then we write down what that means, and we all come forward, and we put our seal on it. <laughs> It's not just a, yeah, that's a great idea that I agree with, but actually everybody corporately is going, we hold each other to this. We are actually making a vow together to covenant with God, to reattach that covenant to God. You see where it's really important sometimes to take the step away from just the individual and to the corporate? Because what's happening here isn't, nothing is happening to an individual here. What's happening is happening to a people. What's happening is corporate. And so, when the, our senior pastors pitch a vision, explain what we're going after in a year, do we affix our seal to it, or do we go, oh, that's pretty interesting, that might be exciting? Do we need to be reminded of it each Sunday, or is it something that we have chosen to affix our name to? That's the question. Kingdom Culture Church, humanity love to life, did we affix our seal to that, or is this just a place that we attend? These are the questions 
of what community actually means. Because community isn't just, this is a group where I have some friends. Community is something much more powerful than that. It actually has a sense of identity. So there's a couple of things to touch on here. I've got my three points. So the first thing they do is they put the Bible in the middle of the community. They put the Torah in the middle of the community, but I think we can make the, the hermeneutical leap if, uh, if that's okay, right? We can, we, I think we'll be all right to, to make a connection between the Torah and the Bible. If you can go along with me on that one, I know it's a stretch. But they put it in the center of the people. It's actually something that the, the vow that they make is a response to the Scripture, is a response to God being revealed through the Scripture. And sometimes we make a vow or we make a pledge or we give our lives to God in the abstract. This invisible guy up there, who can know what he wants? It's not really like I'm trying to live my best life, I'm trying to do the best thing, God wants me to be a good person, and then we'll put together what that means. This isn't what they've done. They've actually taken this and they've put it in the middle of the community, and they've read through it three times. The second time, the priests actually, like, unpack all the meaning and teach it to the people. This is what it means. This is what this bit means. This is what this bit means. They become versed in what this means. And once they fully understand it, or they begin that journey of understanding it, that's when they make that pledge. And so, we're not making a connection to God in the abstract. We're actually a God who has revealed Himself, one, through the person of Jesus, as revealed in Scripture, and two, through Scripture. We actually know who God is. We know what He likes, what He doesn't like, what He's after, what He's not after. It's not about us attaching our sense of morality and going, we need to be moral people to go after God. It's actually, God, what have you asked of me? And this is why, again, corporate, right? Because what we tend to do is we follow our convictions. I don't feel the Holy Spirit's really convicted me on that. Or the Holy Spirit has really convicted me too. And we want to live under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. But it creates this place where each person is following their own voice, right? Instead of, hey, we have a corporate identity wrapped around this. There's actually, if we're talking about New Testament and Old Testament, there's 2,000 years of people giving themselves to the God that reveals Himself through Scripture. And we join in with that. We're part of that community, worldwide historical community, all the ups, all the downs. And we'll talk about ups and downs in a minute, but I really want to stress and focus in on that, that they put their idea of who they were as a community around the Word. That's super, super important. Point two, revival without the nostalgia. Because this is something that I've been really, like, uh, marinating on, thinking on, processing through, this idea of because I've been in, in rooms where the Holy Spirit is so thick and tangible and alive and real that the police come because they think someone's dying, right? Because it's, uh, it's, it's extravagant and there's so much happening. But like I said, we need to take our lens away from just what have I experienced, because that's what happens. Revival becomes the, a buzzword for, I want my current church to have the experience that my previous church had. That's, you know, words can mean all kinds of meanings. We attribute all kinds of, we all attribute different meanings to different words sometimes. 
but that's, that's kind of what is, it has come to me. This, like, I remember when. Oh, it's so good, God is about to, and we just have it straight through that lens of what we've seen before. Or we read somewhere what happened in Wales, what happened in Azusa, and we go, oh, God, would you do that again? And God, would you do that again? It's such a powerful, beautiful thing. Absolutely. But I think sometimes we miss what God is doing, right? Because we're expecting God to do something else. That was, that was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? Completely missed Jesus because they're expecting God to be doing something else. And so, let's read through. I've got uh, in chapter 9 this prayer. I've, uh, I've got some highlighter going. The orange is every time it's talking about what God's done, and the pink is everything that starts with, but they. <laughs> so, just to summarize, we're just going to jump over to verse 26. But they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. Bad. (laughs) You delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Good. But as soon as they were at rest, this is what happens. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. It's about 30-odd verses of this, of the people in their distress called out to you, and in your compassion, you responded to them, and you brought them out of that. And then they became complacent, they turned their backs on you, they wanted to do it their own way, they got the natural result of that. But then when they cried out to you in their distress, and so really the only reason that we need revival or renewal is because we only tend to call out to God in our distress. Right? It's only when it's serious. When we're comfortable, it's like, look at all that I have achieved. And so this is this cycle that happens. Just goes up, just goes down, just goes up, just goes down. And so what I want to say to you, what I really want to hammer home, is that revival isn't us praying that we would have an experience as a church. Revival is all about intercession. Because actually what happens here in this passage is they start repenting for sins they never did. They repent for the sins of their forefathers. They repent for the sins of their nation. They're so stirred that their national identity has moved away from what it had been, that they all come together and they pray, God, we repent for the sins of the people around us. And so I wonder when we're so stirred up of, oh, Lord, would you bring revival? If that's our heart is, Lord, would you come to this nation? We repent as a people. I repent on the half of the people of Australia, that we've turned our backs on you, that we've made our ways about something else. Lord, would you be our king? That's actually what revival is about. That's actually the thing that stirs God's heart. That's actually the thing that God responds to. Isn't our expectation. Expectation is important, but it is that prayer, us responding in our distress, crawling out to God. That's what God responds to. And then here in verse 36, 
they make a commitment to the now and not yet tension that they find themselves in. Because they've built their wall, they've built their temple, they have that corporate worship, but they're still slaves to Babylon. They're still owned by Babylon. The land is not their own. And so they say, right at the end here, but see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. If I could have the keyboard up, I'll give you some time uh, by reading this quote from Dumbrell about this. The emphasis in this prayer is on the gift of the land as the fulfillment of the promise to the ancestors, right? Tracking with that so far, they'd said God was fulfilling a promise to their ancestors to the land. While the concluding verses of chapter 9 indicate the position in which the people of God now return to the land find themselves, they are slaves. That is, they are conscious that the real exodus of prophetic concern still awaits them, and for its blessing they pray. They realize that they have had the land returned to them, but there's still a future thing that they're crying out for. And that's actually where we find ourselves, that Jesus came and Jesus is coming back. And we find ourselves in this middle place. And if we don't grapple with this theology well, we find ourselves coming up with some awkward stuff. That's the gentle way. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's message. Our hope is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, we'd like to invite you to begin your journey with him today. When we read scripture, we see that sin separates us from God, but that our relationship with God is restored by salvation through Jesus Christ. This happens because God gave Jesus his son to die in our place to deal with the sin problem, and he rose again so that we can have eternal life with him. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we can know salvation today. If you're ready to do that and turn from a life of sin, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time today, we would love to know and reach out to you and support you. So please contact us at hello at kingdomculturechurch.com.au.